you to stand with me. Now, to all of our guests on Thursday night, we call this family night. Uh, That simply means you never know what's going to happen. (laughs) We sing happy birthday to all the people that have had a birthday. Brother Manley had his 40th birthday (laughs) this past week. (laughs) Well, I knew Sunday night whenever I said that I was going to get a big argument, so I had it all figured out, see. So, he had a birthday, and certainly we're just very, very thrilled that that uh, Brother Manley is in great health, and <laughs> he's got the new tie on that the church gave him. Does that look nice? And a lot of people are having birthdays this next week. I tell you, I didn't know that we had so many people with birthdays uh, this week. But it's we wish all of you a happy birthday, and all of you who have anniversaries. We have anyone with a wedding anniversary this this next week? All right. Now there's a hand, but I can't see the person there. Oh, all, all right, Sister Debbie Rain. All right. And Brother Seidel. And Brother Seidel's birthday is coming up real soon, April 1st. <clears throat> and Mentis, are you on April 1st? And who? <laughs> There's some kind of a joke going on with that. I'm not really for sure what it's all about. And, and Kevin Brown has an anniversary? Did I hear that right? Both both you and your wife? Okay, all right. <laughs> all right. And I had you to stand for the reading of the Word. So, now what was I saying anyway? Oh, family night. You never know what might happen here. All right. I might even forget what I'm doing. All of which I did. All right. Mark 16, verse 15 through 20. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and set on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Now just to continue my thought a little bit. Uh, Thursday night we, we, we have Bible studies sometimes. Sometimes we have a preaching evangelistic service. And sometimes we have a combination. And sometimes it's hard to figure out. <clears throat> Tonight possibly is one of those hard to figure out nights. Uh, <clears throat> I just want to talk to everyone here. And I realize that we do have a good number of guests with us, 
And when you come to a church service, ordinarily you expect it to be a lot more organized than what it might appear to be. But I have given considerable thought to the comments that I want to make tonight. In fact, I I wish, wish we had everyone and all the classes out. I want to talk about control by missionary vision. Uh, <clears throat> the reason why that I feel so definite about this is because I do feel that there is a there is a need uh, to mobilize the church to reach people. Uh, I I definitely feel, and you know, I was invited to because of the times this year, and before that's a big uh, prayer type prayer Bible conference that takes place in Alexandria, Louisiana every year, right after our prayer and Bible conference. Brother Anthony Mangan called me up and said, Brother Grant, I want you to come two days early. John Maxwell, most of you know who John Maxwell is. How many of you know who John Maxwell is? All right. John Maxwell is a Wesleyan preacher, but he's involved in, a, in leadership uh, seminars and such. He built a uh, tremendously a strong and large church in San Diego. But uh, he was going to be there, and he was going to talk to the ministers. And uh, Brother Mangan asked me, said, I, I'd like for you to come and, and, and come to my home. Of course, uh, not all the ministers that would, were going to the conference would be able to you know, attend this meeting in Brother Mangan's home. Just to, uh, I don't know how many, but you, know, you can't get... 1,500 preachers that usually attend that in, in a house. So, so uh, about 3,000 people in attendance there. So uh, he, he, he uh, invited me to come, and I, I hated not to go, but as you well know, I had this uh, physical problem, and so I bowed out. <clears throat> now, I, I did check to find out how the meeting went. I was very interested. And what happened. And this is what John Maxwell told the preachers who gathered in Brother Anthony Mangan's house. He said, you know, I would like to have a job with the United Pentecostal Church to mobilize your forces. He said, the problem with the United Pentecostal Church, he said, I've given a lot of thought to this statement before I make it, and I've studied this out, is that you spend entirely too much time preaching to each other. And then, of course, things got real quiet, and he, he kind of brushed it off by saying, oh, well, that's just a thought, he said. <laughs> and he moved on. <clears throat> But when I checked on how the meeting went, and someone just in passing told me about his opening remarks, I, I felt that, that God really did speak to me. And I, I just want to talk about uh, mobilizing our forces. Uh, and of course, I titled this, Controlled by Missionary Vision. First, I want to say that I feel that our church 
is somewhat above average, in fact, way above average, in the area of, uh, of its missionary vision. I would say both locally and uh, with our foreign missions giving. We recently had a Mother's Memorial promotion uh, service in which we just talked about foreign students. It takes $150 to uh, send a foreign student to Bible school, and in the lifetime of that foreign student, he will usually reach about 5,000 people. So for $150, uh, you can reach, by your giving, about 5,000 people. And our church, uh, the last count I had, we had pledged for 157 missionaries at $150 apiece. And if my multiplication is correct, that's $23,550, somewhere around there. Now, I'm hoping that we can get around 175. And at the same time, we will take a, a Mother's Memorial offering, and usually our Mother's Memorial offering, separate and apart from our missionary pledges, that is for the foreign students it runs 3000 or so. We last year turned in $5,000 or $5,500, which uh, this year I'm hoping that we will be able to give, the, give a Mother's Memorial offering of around $28,000. Now, <clears throat> that's more than some districts the size of ours gives. Now, I, I don't want you to feel so good about it that you that you back off. Uh, and I do appreciate the generous giving we had with us last Sunday night, Brother Porter, missionary to Swaziland. In Africa, our offering that we gave him was $900. We raised our PIM uh, to him. So we will be sending $65 a month. And, of course, we are hoping that other monies will come in. So we raised it to 60, 65 We recently had Brother Porter with us. Our offering was right at $2,000. I said Brother Porter, uh, Brother Turner. Brother Porter was the missionary Sunday night. Brother Turner, our offering was right at $2,000. Then we had Brother Jeff Norris here. Our offering was around $1,000. Uh, we have had a good number of missionaries, one a month now for the last few months, and we have been able to give uh, anywhere from 750 to $2,000 for the missionary, plus take the missionary on with either an additional pledge or a first-time pledge. And I really do thank the Lord for that. Our, our missions giving this year will, uh, if we continue, will be the best ever. And, of course, last year we had a banner year. Our Christmas for Christ offering. Our Christmas for Christ offerings. Uh, the, the money is raised and used exclusively for the starting of churches here in the North American continent. But our Christmas for Christ offering was $12,000 plus dollars, uh, this past uh, our Christmas. Now, <clears throat> I'm saying all that to say that 
that, uh, you know, there's no doubt about it, church this size, we are uh, somewhat above average in our giving. And then when we leave that area and we go to other areas in which people are, are personally committed to the physical aspect of the church, uh, I, I know that we're above average. And I want to be talking about some of those things. But I, I just really feel that if there's one person among us tonight that's not committed, that's not committed to talking to people and winning the lost, if I can get you to personally commit yourself and purpose in your heart that uh, you will start talking to people about the Lord, this message certainly will not be in vain. It really is amazing. I ran across a gentleman. I consider this gentleman to be a little bit of a of a different uh, variety. Uh, he was uh, just a very, what should I say, uh, he, he, he just uh, uh, a little bit socially indifferent. But uh, I began to talk with him, and he found out we had a Christian school and started asking questions. And he talked and he talked and he talked and he talked and he talked. He asked us all about the school. He asked us how many students we had, if we charged tuition or what. Uh, the church that he goes to, which is an entirely different flavor from Calvary Gospel Church, uh, he said he had a lot of regrets because the tuition was so high and so many uh, kids from the church were not able to go because of the tuition being high. And he said, I have I have really thought about it and studied and I've done everything I, I know to do to figure out a way in which everybody can send their kids if they want to send them. And then he said, you know, the, it, it's not just because we want a, a church school, he said. But he said, you know, you don't have to be very brilliant to figure out that, that the public school system is really in trouble. And uh, he said, I do not consider myself to be a conservative person. But he said, you know, it's, it's really alarming. My church is not a conservative church, but... But we are alarmed. We are amazed at uh, what is taking place. You know, uh, I'm amazed at at, at uh, the the openness uh, of a lot of people towards some of the subjects that are discussed. Uh, you know, on, on the media in various places. I stopped stopped at the barber shop uh, at Brother Nelson's request. Uh, Brother Brother Nelson and I have this thing going about a haircut. You notice I got a haircut and Tom Nelson didn't. You notice that? But he's needing one. I mean, terrible. But if you get a chance to tell him, just feel free to tell him. You know, just you know, he he just he just a head usher here. You know, he doesn't do much. And but no, I'm just joking with you, Brother Nelson. I did stop in a barbershop, though. No, Tom and I, we do tease about this. He came looking. He said, Brother Grant, he said, when are we going to get a haircut? Well, I fulfilled my part of it. That's all I can do. You know. <laughs> but I stopped in, and it was uh, 11 o'clock in the morning. And there was, uh, on the TV inside, there was a talk show going on. 
and I could not believe. When I started to pay, it was a lady barber. I was the only person in there, and she was the only person. And the TV was right by where I paid, and I couldn't believe what they were saying. And then she said, do you feel embarrassed standing here? with?" I said, well, yes. I couldn't believe what they were saying. It's something I certainly wouldn't repeat across the pulpit. And they're just all just laughing and cutting up and asking questions about all this. You know, it it it, it just uh, people. Let me tell you something. This world needs to be rescued by Jesus, and and that's the only thing that's going to rescue it. I can tell you. It is the only thing that's going to rescue it. I I listen. I, I made reference to this, but I did listen to to Doctor Dobson last week, and he had a Jewish rabbi from New York. Several people heard the program. They asked me, it "Was one of the the better programs?" I'm, and, and of course, all as far as I'm concerned, most of his programs are just really top notch. All of them are good, but most of them are top notch. But this was just a superb one, and. <clears throat> You know, he brought out something very important. He said, you know, people say what they want to do about Christianity. I said, you know, I'm Jewish, and and, and that simply means that I'm non-Christian. I believe in Jehovah God, but not Christ. But he said, I, I just, I disagree about all of this, this bad rap that the Christian community is receiving. And, and this is the question I pose to people who are down on Christianity. If your car stalled on a dark night and you had to, to get out and walk, would you prefer a real large liberal city where people don't go to church or would you prefer to get out in one of these little conservative Bible Belt towns where everybody goes to church where would you prefer to get out and walk he said naturally everybody would prefer a conservative Bible Belt city where everybody goes to church as opposed to a community, a large community, where people are pretty anti-God. So he said, I, I just feel that, that uh, you know, God has used the United States of America, and he talked about the Christian movement. While he's, he's not Christian, he said, I feel comfortable with Christians. And I'm not really for sure just where, what my relationship is with the Christian community, but I feel very comfortable in the presence of Christians, but I don't feel comfortable in the presence of anti-God people. Now, because of the, the anti-God movement, and you may, you may disagree with it, but it's certainly here 
in, in the United States of America, much more so than what you might think. Uh, there are a lot of people that are waking up to realize that uh, America needs help. And more specifically, I need help. You know, as an individual, I need help. That's what people are saying. And so people are turning their hearts somewhat to God. I remember uh, several years ago digging out some prophecy in the book of Zechariah. And, and uh, in, in digging this out, it appears that, that the pattern of the last days will be this. That there will be a great outpouring of God's Spirit. And, and after that, there will be a revelation of the oneness or the revelation of the name. And after that, then there will be a revelation of holiness. Now, we're seeing right now, we've seen a great outpouring of the Holy Ghost. But we're seeing a revelation of the name. Four years ago, when we gave out Christmas cards, Sister Grant and I went over to the Christian bookstore and picked up the cards. And I picked up a card there that I was really impressed with. And this is what the card said on the front. Jesus is God. And we pass those out. Now, truthfully, in the Christian community several years ago, you wouldn't find a card like that. But more and more and more we are seeing that people are coming to a revelation that that Jesus was more than just a prophet. He was more than just a man. He was more than a second person of a divine trinity. That in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. People are seeing that. And of course, your revelation of the oneness determines whether you're baptized in his name or not. It, it, and, and, and one of the easiest subjects in the Bible to prove is Jesus' name baptism. I mean, you, 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 you don't have to get very deep in the Scripture to understand that people baptized in Jesus' name. Now, I'll tell you another thing, too, that Sister Grant and I have noticed. Because of our association in, in, with, with the, uh, ACE, the ACE school, schools, and uh, uh, a few other uh, associations we've had. This is what we are seeing. We're seeing among uh, conservative groups a real turn toward conservative lifestyle. Now, when we grew up, Sister Grant, uh, when we were married, I was not a member of any church and she was a member of, of another denomination and uh, all the kids of that denomination in our high school those were the wild ones but we have lived long enough to see I'm not saying that my wife was wild you know of course I didn't say she wasn't either you know <laughs> Oh, I said I wasn't picking on Sister Grant in 1990. Did I say that? Brother Sonny, can you back up the tape? Could everybody forget I said that? 
Well, don't erase it. They're not going to forget it anyway. So, at any rate, so, but but it's it's this movement that you're seeing that that's going toward real conservative Christian living. When we first started getting paces from ACE for our Christian school, they explained that God has a triangle: Father, Son, Holy Ghost. And the word Trinity was there. In the school of tomorrow, in Louisville, Texas, where they had their, their school, that is the, the model school in which they, they tested the curriculums and such, some of the students began to ask questions about that. Somebody, some high school student, in studying the Bible, questioned the validity of, of the Trinitarian doctrine. In other words, the Trinitarian doctrine states that God consists of three divine, distinct persons, each being co-equal, co-existent, and co-eternal. They said, now how can this be if there is an Almighty? And they began to ask questions. Dr. Howard then started asking some of our preachers questions about it. And stood up then at the ACE convention and said, we're removing that triangle from that pace. He said, I'm not really for sure how to explain the Godhead. But he said, the thing about it is I, I, I would probably draw it more like a circle, like, a, like an egg. That there is a, a yolk and then there's the white of the egg and then there's the shell. But there's one egg. Well, I've heard old-time Pentecostal preachers explain the oneness like that. See? And so, there is a revelation coming. And then concerning the holiness, we were amazed at, at some of the standards then that the ACE, coming out of the headquarters, the ACE headquarters, uh, were imposing, if you can use that term, imposing upon students who attended the conventions. We were really amazed. Because it seemed like in years past they promoted all these things. Then I was listening to Dr. Dobson this week pulling in to get my car washed, and I had to get out of the car, leave the car, but... They were interviewing a couple about the Internet and about the things that are going across this and, and, and some of the problems that children have. And so this one lady, uh, and she, this, this, is, this is what was suggested. I, may, I don't know if you heard this or not, but uh, uh, the suggestion was, was made that, that you, you have to teach discipline in the home, that children should not, when it, when it comes to, working on the computers or even watching television. So television came up that you have to monitor what they watch and and everyone there agreed that children should not be allowed to watch television over one hour per day. That's it. And give them a list of what they, what they can watch and let them make the choice that is from that list. Now, I'm not talking about our Pentecostals, that, that that is the suggested lifestyle here. Most all of you don't even have TVs. So people who don't have TVs, you don't have to worry about this. 
But I'm telling you that, that people are coming to an enlightenment that, hey, uh, this is damaging. And, and, and too much even of a good thing just becomes an obsession where kids, they always have to have some music playing or they always have to be entertained. And after a while, you know, you don't even need a brain. Everything just, just pumped in, you know. And just So we are seeing the fulfillment of Scripture right before our eyes. But that does not mean, however, that because we're seeing the fulfillment of Scripture... And that God is pouring out His Spirit and people are coming to a knowledge uh, of the oneness and, and a knowledge of holiness from within and without that uh, we should just kind of coast on into heaven. We have our work cut out for us. That's, that's exactly what it means. It means we should work harder than we've ever worked before. I... Uh, I was just intrigued by reading a book about John Wesley and, of course, the great revival that went, revival that went through Scotland and, and throughout the United Kingdom uh, back in, what was 1800s? 1700s, was it? 17. But uh, when a Methodist, when the Methodists first set foot on our shores, uh, of course, they, they came over here, uh, quite a few of them came to, to evangelize North America, to evangelize uh, the United States and Canada, basically. And, uh, of course, they, they were coming under the auspices of the Methodist Episcopal Church. Fifty years... After they landed in America, over 25% of every American, both Catholic and Protestant, 25% had been converted to Methodism. And the secret of it, they said, was because that every Methodist understood his mission. He knew what his mission was. And with that understanding came a revelation of purpose. You know, if you don't fully understand your mission in life, there's not much purpose involved. Have you ever stopped to think, why... God allowed you to be born. Why are you here? That's a question that a lot of people ask. But you see, everyone, under the sound of my voice, you have a, a mission in life. I'm talking about a purpose that has divine origin. One that came out of God. Now, if this be true, and I think that all of you would agree that it is, if this be true, what are you doing about this calling? What are you doing about this? 
Now, you see, our everyday schedule must reflect our concern. It must do that. You know, it is it is necessary. And I can get up here and I can preach and preach and preach and preach and preach and put a whole lot of hype in it, and I enjoy that, and you do too. But there is a time which we have to sit down and just say, hey, you know, we're smart enough to know that if we do have a divine mission, that we have to put it in our plans, otherwise there will be no fulfillment of it. What are you doing to fulfill your purpose in life? Now, the thing about it is, and I think this would be true as uh, from the standpoint of our church in general, not just the local assembly, but we must be mobile and flexible enough to permit the rapid distribution the rapid distribution of manpower among our world. You know, sometimes you, well, to be to be honest, as a pastor, sometimes you 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 look at new people that come in and others, and and you say, I I don't think they're ready yet. And the truth of the matter is, about seventy five percent of all the people who are won to God are won by people who have been in the church two years or less. I mean, people that don't really know much about the Bible. But after a while, you know, you you, you, you get a whole lot of Bible under your belt, so to speak, and, and, and you don't do much about what you, you know, and, and guess what happens? Are you guessing? You just feel comfortable in your relationship with God and the Bible and and, and, and you like these these messages that just feed your soul, but the preacher has to keep scratching deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper uh, to feed you while you just sit there. And we are good at just inspiring each other. Some of the best preachers I've ever heard in the world, some of the best singers I've ever heard, the best choirs I've ever heard have come out of the United Pentecostal Church. We have superb preachers right here among us. Now that's not to say that we're not doing anything. That's that's not what I'm that's not the intent of this message. The intent of this message is to encourage you to do more than you've ever done before. But I know as a I know even in the district, I happen to be the superintendent and sometimes you'll have a young man that just well, I just I received a call last evening from a young man. He's never pastored before. He's in a local assembly, and he says, "I'd like to go start a church, but I'm I am young and I'm not qualified." And he said, "What, you know, how do you get started, Brother Grant?" I, I, he's talked to his pastor. His pastor's put his blessings upon. Him. He said, I, "I just I don't know." He said, "Maybe I should go someplace and pastor for a while." And I said, "But you know, the thing about it is." Most of the churches that have been started in Wisconsin, and should I also add, very successful starts and very successful churches and pastors, they started out being pastored by young men that had never pastored any place before. 
But sometimes, you know, you think, well, you look at a young man and say, well, he doesn't have much of a track record. Maybe he needs to get some experience. You hear that in the marketplace, don't you? You need experience. And, and you go away scratching your head and say, how am I going to get experience if nobody will hire me? You know, it's kind of this round robin thing. I, just, I don't know where to start. Nobody will hire me without experience. I can't get experience unless somebody hires me. So we want people with good track records and people that, that are soul winners and people that know how. But at the same time, you don't get the know-how unless you do it. I can tell you, you can't read enough books on soul winning to become a soul winner. But I'll tell you what, from the simple efforts of a burdened newcomers into the faith, I have seen some tremendous things happen. I remember this one man that came in our church. If I called his name, you'd know. Many of you would know, and I've told this story before. But when he prayed through the Holy Ghost, he went back where he was living, and he called all the people in that was involved in, in, uh, in all of the activities he was involved in and the work that he was involved in, and, and he started witnessing to them. And he started talking uh, you know, about speaking in tongues and such. And, 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 and they said, uh, where is it in the Bible? He said, I don't know, but it's there because I heard the preacher preach it. And they said, well, you expect us to believe this that you're telling us? we never heard anybody speak in tongues. The preacher's not here. He said, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll just show you. And so he got right down in the middle of the floor, and he started praying. And he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed. He stopped and licked his lips, and he said, just, just be patient with me. It's going to come. They're all just sitting there looking at him. And he just kept on praying. And all of a sudden, the power of the Lord came down. And he got real happy. Now, he did not tell me this story. This story was told to me the next week after that by a person praying in the altar that saw it and was convinced that it was real. I said, where did you find out about our church? And this young lady began to tell me. And I said, well, what happened she said, well, all of a sudden he began to speak in this foreign language, and he shot right up almost to the ceiling. And he started rattling this off, and he, he jumped around. He hit the front door and ran down the sidewalk talking in tongues. He came back in there, scared us all to death. We didn't know what was happening. But several people were in church that Sunday, and this young lady gave her heart to God. Now, you may say, do you recommend that? <laughs> well, that's not the approach that I would suggest that you take. But you see, here's a man with a burdened heart. That's all he knew. He didn't know anything. I, can't, I don't know any scripture. I just know that <laughs> I was touched in my heart. The preacher was preaching. I went down to the altar. God baptized me with the Holy Ghost. They took me and put me in the tank. Baptize me in Jesus' name, and I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. And I'm going to go tell the world about it. Ready to go preach the gospel. Isn't that what happened to Paul? Paul went back in Jerusalem and began to preach. Well, later on he found out there's a whole lot about this I don't know. And he went three and a half years into the Arabian desert. And there he sought God, studied the scripture, came back as a, as a great apostle to the Gentile nations. 
But he never lost that burden. He never lost his purpose. He never did. Now, when I talk about the rapid distribution of manpower, at the same time, I do believe that we must have a central point in which we all come together, and that would be a strong local church in which the administrative skills of the church and such are put into practice. Uh, you need to come into to a church service like this where you're instructed, where the gifts of the Spirit are in operation, uh, where we have a chance to support missions and such. Uh, now, I've seen churches so heavy in evangelism that, that they did not think that the local church service was that important. I've seen others that uh, they were so heavy in the local church aspect that they didn't go out and reach the lost. There has to be a balance. You understand that? There has to be. This is necessary. I've gone places and taught seminars. And, and you know, it's amazing what you see in churches. I've gone up to teach seminars in which I arrived there just about time service was to start. And there was nobody there. The lights were not on. Nothing. After a while, a car drive up. They go and turn the lights on. After a while, the PA... Somebody come up and start tuning the guitar. You know, everybody's just sitting there. You think, man, they're they're sure not with the program. No eagerness to get started, no eagerness. You know, if there's no eagerness to get to church, it's either a sign that you're burned out or... You're rusted out. You know, you can rust out. A lot of burnout. People call it burnout. It's just a plain old backslidden condition. I've heard, I've heard this statement made many, many times. Brother Jerry Jones made the statement at a prayer conference, and I, I do agree with it. Uh, however, I think if you'd talk with Brother Jones, you'd find that he would also put an exception to that. Uh, one sign of being stressed out is that you you don't want to go to church. Now, I like to see people take a day off, and I like to see people take vacations. But, on the other hand, I also know that it is possible not to want to go to church simply because you're backslidden. Because you haven't been praying, you haven't been seeking God. There's no eagerness, there's no enthusiasm. It's just not there. So we must have we must have a strong local church and a, and a, a strong local church service. Now the Bible speaks of that. You can say whatever you want to. The exercise of spiritual gifts. When you all come together, each one has this, each one has that. Is, isn't that important? Sure it is. You know, the, the various personalities. You know, we're all part of the body. It, it is really amazing. It, it, it's so amazing to me. How God can take one person that's just, you know, vivacious and laughing about everything and take somebody else that's real sober. You know, 
We come in all different sizes and shapes. Everybody looks different. Aren't you glad it's that way? See, if God had made us all alike, every time we came in here, we'd have to put a name tag on. Because you wouldn't be able to tell Dave Shroud from Herb Manley. <laughs> I decided tonight that I was going to tell you a story that make your hair fall out. But after I looked out, I, I felt like we, too many of you had heard it already. Oh. <laughs> I'm just joking, you know. <laughs> oh my. <clears throat> Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Don't you love the Lord? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And you know, we need strong leadership. Strong leadership. Not just in the church, but in the various programs of the church. We're having our our, uh, sectional services. And we have directors over all. Bob Updike, Section 4, Brother Seidel, Brother Derber is in the Beaver Dam area working up there. And then we have our youth, uh, which we it's a, it's a non-geographical section, Brother Eckenrod. And we have the over... And then we have the college church, Brother Tim Knopp. He's in the back standing already. And then we have care ministers and outreach... I say outreach, uh, visitor follow-ups. You know, these people must be strong leaders. They must be caring leaders. You may be seated. It it is so important. But, you you know, the thing about it is you must never forget that you're a leader, that you have a job. And while we are making fellowships out of these, for the most part, hopefully in the very near future, we're going to say we're going to have a fellowship and we want everyone to bring a guest. Don't come unless... Well, I'm not going to say don't come unless you have a guest. But uh, try your best to have a guest. That's something. I made a rhyme. I might start writing poetry, you know. <laughs> oh. <clears throat> I, th- I think that I think that's very very important that that we do this, and then we have our our Simpson Street outreach. Uh, Brother uh, Andrew Cohn's in charge of this. This is so important. You see, everything we everything we do must be geared around reaching the lost. Why? Because the Son of Man came, Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. You must say, well, what about? The keeping of the saints. The pastoring of the saints. You know the thing about it is if we're not involved in outreach, you can't stay saved anyway. You may say, oh, you can't? Well, look at a church that's not and see what happens. It just falls apart. Just totally falls apart. So with our campus, 
uh, College Church with our Simpson Street Outreach. Rich Thomas, Rich and Peggy Thomas are starting an extension work down in Stoughton. Brother and Sister Derber have been up in the Beaver Dam area working, and we have our sectional uh, services and such. Uh, listen, we, we actually have the program. It's just a matter of us taking and reaching as many people as we possibly can. We have the program to, to, to get them saved and to keep them saved. Brother Smalls was supposed to be with us tonight and teach home Bible study, but because of a, the changing of the Acts um, um, tournaments, is it, it's not Acts, is it? I guess it is, whatever it is. Anyway, the volleyball and the, the tournament for, the, for our games and everything, well, we, we decided it wasn't a good time. But, but home Bible studies, uh, there have been times in which we've had 40 and 50 home Bible studies going at one time. Right now we're down to seven or eight. I think that was the count the other night, and, and this is probably a low. But you see, here's the thing. I preached a message on who is a Bible believer. And I preached that from Mark 16, 17. These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. And I talked about... The, the exercising of spiritual gifts among us and the importance of that. And I connected the Bible believer. But in this great commission the Lord gave, there is as much emphasis on going out and reaching the lost as there is on casting out devils and taking up serpents and drinking deadly things and such. By the way, don't go get some poison and drink it. Don't go to the pet store and purchase a snake. Because that's not what the Lord was saying. You know, there have been people that have done that. Not here. I mean, not here. And thank the Lord for that. But basically, you know, if we can get these Bible studies going and such, and, and we have our care ministry, Brother Manley's over that. Of course, the, the sections, that's that's a part of that. Uh Recently, I met with Brother Manley. We're restructuring some things, and Brother Manley's job description has changed a little bit, and I want to take this opportunity to just, just tell you, because of the outreach and the visitor follow-up that works with the sections, these will be under Brother Manley's care. Brother Manley had the music and, and the youth and a few things, and I've asked Brother Manley to let me do that and work with the young people with Brother Eckenrod because Brother Eckenrod's full-time here on the staff, and and here in the day, and, and I'm here, and, and of course, it, it just makes a little bit of a, a smoother operation. But I'll tell you what, if we'll just, if we will exercise eagerness to spread the gospel, and then when we, when we conclude a service, like, like uh, I'm going to be stopping, uh, believe it or not, uh, in just a minute. We have altar captains. Lately, our altar captains have not been as aggressive. Now, when I say aggressive, I'm not talking about what you might think. When you think of something that's aggressive, you think of somebody that's just, you know, just ripping and snorting and tearing things apart. Obnoxious. But uh, 
We have altar captains. You know how many altar captains we have? When Sister Thomas are in charge of all the altar work. And then we have this section up front over here. Who's in charge of this section? You know who you are. Raise your hand. Okay, Sister Mashanda Fisher. And she's way in the back, but she always... I wouldn't say she sits up here all the time, but she's in charge of this up here. In the back back there, who's in charge? Brother Rossing, all right. In the back back there, who's in charge? And I don't think he's here tonight, Brother Commander. I don't think Brother Commander's here tonight. And up in this area, who's in charge? Brother Blake George. And then who is the altar worker at large? Brother Andrew Cohn. Now, that simply means that if an area is not covered, he's going to slip in there and cover. What does that mean? It just simply means that when we give an altar call, that is uh, asking people to come and pray, the altar captains just quickly go into action. If they, they start praying, they start interceding. If they see someone that is hesitant but they feel that wants to come, they, they go and invite that person. If there's someone that's praying in the pews and nobody's there, they get somebody to pray with that person. But Sister Thomas do the same around the front. And, and it is amazing, you know, that if we forget not what we're doing, how well all this really does work. Now, you may say, oh, just a program. And I've heard this business about programs, programs. But let me tell you something. I've been involved in a whole lot of things that are not organized. And I'll take organization anytime. <clears throat> because everybody's responsibility becomes nobody's responsibility. And sometimes it's that way in the reaching of the lost. We just think, well, everybody ought to win souls. Sure. But we need a plan of action, don't we? Yes, we do. We've got the home Bible studies. We've got the care ministries. We've got our outreaches and such. And, and what I'd like for each one of you to do is to purpose in your heart that you will fulfill the commandments of the Lord. Who is a Bible believer? It's not just the man who speaks in tongues. It's not just the man who casts out devils. But you see, there's as much in this commandment about going. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. When you pledge to give $150 to a foreign student, you can't bodily go to the whole world, not you as an individual. But collectively, all of us can. So we just support and send. But sometimes because we do that, we think, oh, man, I, I'm reaching 5,000 people. I, I guess that, that is a good way to look at it, but you don't want to stop there. Because if you go out one weekend and blow $150 on, on entertainment, you know, if it, if, if it starts there and stops there, then you also have to conclude that you just caused 5,000 people to go to hell. I mean, everything can't be wrapped up in that $150. That's what I'm saying. That there is a responsibility that rests upon my shoulders and upon your shoulders. We must pray. We must seek God. We must do all that we can to reach our world. Again, I want to commend all of you for all that you're doing. 
But I do believe that we need to put the church in another gear. You know what that's like, don't you? How many of you have these stick shifts in your car? See? You can only go so fast in low gear. And, and you know, it, 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 if you look at the RPMs, what's that gauge called? I've already forgotten now. Tachometer. Okay. If you look at the tack on a car, the tachometer on a car, and you're in first gear, how fast do you think you're going to be going when the thing reaches 3,500 RPMs? Depends on the car, but you're not going to be going very fast. But it simply means this, that the engine is working just as hard going 15 miles an hour, and what happens then you redline the thing. In other words, you're going to blow the engine up if you don't change gears. And, and I wonder sometimes if we're just kind of blown out sometimes because we we just went too fast in low gear. <clears throat> in other words, let's shift gears and see if we can do more for Jesus. Praise God. I want you to stand with me at this time. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. This 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 tonight was instructional all the way. And and probably not as inspirational as what you would like. But I'll tell you that I make no apologies. It's just something we really do. Everyone here needs to understand his purpose. Amen. And let me say this. If you're a guest of ours and you have never given your heart to God, do you know that you have a divine purpose also? I would just listen to the the political aspect of, you know, all the elections and such. And they were talking about pro-choice versus pro-life. You know, somebody just made the statement about politics. Oh, I just hate politics. That's what they said. Well, go to a country where they don't have it and see what happens. But I was thinking about all of the unborn children that are aborted. Now, according to the Bible, the greatest leaders of all time were called before they were born. Do you know that? Jacob? Look right, right in the pages. John the Baptist? Was Jesus Christ, Moses. God speaks to people before they're born. And you think about what's happening in America with all these children. Then I think about the accomplishments of, of so many great people. And you wonder how many people are really dying before they ever fulfill their cause. But you see, it's easy for Christians to say, oh, they got a purpose in life. Let them be born. Let them join our ranks and we'll show them what their purpose is. Oh, we might. But we might not get that message across. But I don't want anyone to leave here without understanding. You do have a purpose in life. If you've never given your heart to God, it starts out by you giving your heart to God. I will assure you, though, that life will take on meaning and life will, purpose will develop.
and contentment will come as a result of the fulfillment of particular goals in your life. And separate and apart from that is the issue that Jesus Christ wants to save you because you are lost. I mean, lost. Lost. I remember reading a book by a notable evangelist, a man of the 1800s, and he was on his face praying that God somehow would let the sinner just see the flames of hell. And you know what? While he was praying, God spoke to him and said, No, it really doesn't work that way. He said, You've been praying that you can see streets of gold. He said, I want the sinner to see the streets of gold, but I want the preacher to see the flames of hell. Because when this is reversed, there is a love put in the heart of the lost to be with God. And there is an eagerness put in the heart of the saint to see that person saved. Well, needless to say, you don't want to die lost without God. But you don't have to. So as our praise singers sing, we give you an opportunity to come. And give your heart to God. Step out right now, would you? Just step out and come on. You can come and stand or kneel down the front. We have Christian workers throughout the building. Come and pray with you. I'll say yes, Lord, yes. To come on, step out right now. To your way. I'll say come on. yes, Lord, oh, yes. yes. I will trust Him and obey when your Spirit speaks to oh, me. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. With my heart I'll agree and my answer Come on, right now. Yes. Maybe some of you would like Lord, to recommit your life. Yes. Commit your life to the purpose for which you were born and created. Come on. Lord, yes. With your 